Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello again, and welcome to the next, I think it's the 49th episode of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. We're in Series 2, and... Um, I haven't changed since the last one. I'm still Barclay Ray. And Ian, have you changed? Or is it oh, still no, you? I'm, I'm still Ian. Yeah, definitely don't, still, still Don't Ian. change, Ian. Don't change. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a really exciting podcast, lots of discussion today with another special guest. Before we do that, Ian, in, in your travels, happenstance come across some meaty nugget of meaty morsel of, uh, of trivia that we can start off with it's this week. Strangely appropriate phrase to use there since uh, this is a little bit of trivia in this episode about the world's fiercest predator. So a question to you, Barclay, why why does Tyrannosaurus Rex have such short arms? And it's not a joke. So don't, don't give me the funny answer. Why does Tyrannosaurus Rex have such strangely short arms that cannot reach its mouth and are not strong enough to pick something up? Why is that? I, I because because it's a it's a temperance animal. It doesn't drink, so it didn't wouldn't want to be able to hold a glass up to its mouth. Wouldn't be able to to lift a pint, or if it could lift it, it couldn't reach couldn't reach its enormous mouth. Is it something to do with being able to get close to things quickly and just ah, bite bite them? Yeah. So uh, what I was reading today, um, an established paleontologist called Kevin Padian, who's been teaching students about paleontology and dinosaurs has continually been researching why are the arms of Tyrannosaurus rex so ridiculously short? And he's recently come up with a theory, which is well-received, although not 100% confirmed, because you can't ask one. There are none around to talk to. Apparently, the theory is they haven't evolved or they didn't evolve to be very small for the benefit of doing something with the arms. But Tyrannosaurus rex was a pack animal that hunted in packs and consequently... Tyrannosaurus rex that had long arms would often have those arms bitten by other Tyrannosaurus rexes, which would then infect them and kill them and so on. And the evolution of Tyrannosaurus rex with small arms were the ones that didn't get bitten by other Tyrannosaurus rexes when they were feasting on the body of another victim. So unconfirmed, but that seems to be the favourite justification for those tiny, tiny arms. I'm concerned that you're talking about dinosaurs and it's you and I in this podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and then I wonder whether, you know, actually is, is the link into this, the fact that dinosaurs weren't that agile in the way that they developed? I don't know. They, um, they, were, they were very process-driven and restricted by excessive governance. Um, yeah, I mean, they, 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 were, they were really strong on frameworks, weren't they, the if dinosaurs? Only we had a guest, if only we had a guest who could talk to us about agility oh. and new ways of working. Have we got a guest? <sighs> we do, and let's stop talking nonsense. It's time to introduce our guest. I'm delighted um, to welcome uh, Dave Van Herpen uh, to our podcast. Dave, uh, ho- hopefully we'll shut up now and we, you can talk some sense. But welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on, and we, I, I promise we won't talk any more about dinosaurs or or any other forms of ancient prehistoric life. Um, so that means we won't talk about ITIL and we won't talk about anything like that as well. But Dave, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and who are you and, and what have you been doing over the years to get to where you are now, put it that way. I was actually established in 1974, so that's well 
you know, beyond dinosaur age. I'm married. I have two teenage kids. Uh, I love football, sports, you know, actually, which everything which involves a ball, I usually uh, tend to like it. Uh, furthermore, I'm as Dutch as it gets. Uh, I'm an independent change consultant. I have uh, about 25 years of experience in IT and change. So I started off as software developer and uh, did some IT operations, then project and service management. Then uh, ran into after you know a few years of line management, which actually was more for other people. I got into agile DevOps and lean coaching and consulting and practitioning. Uh, and right now, most of my assignments have to do with strategy development or organizational change. So I help organizations to achieve a higher sense of performance. And I've done it for you know multiple customers in finance, retail, manufacturing, healthcare, etc. I'm, I'm not the typical framework fetishist. I'm more like a practical realist. And you know, uh, if, if you want to persuade me, you can use Ben and Cherry's uh, uh, Chunky Monkey, or you can use Juicy IPAs. Well, I mean, I, I would never have thought of you as a framework fetishist. Are, are there any framework fetishists left? I, I don't know who they are, but I mean, if we could get one on someday because everybody, everybody's not one, and, and it would be. I'd be delighted to, to welcome somebody on that said they were a framework fetishist. Seen you at loads of events over the years, particularly SR Vision. Are you still involved in the organization of that? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, so actually, Survision is now, I think it's two or three years old. Um, yeah. But before that, we already ran about 15 uh, the same events, but then it was called Service Manager Day. Yeah. And it, it's an annual event uh, with you know a few hundred people that come in and share stuff and practices uh, or visions around the topics of service management and everything around it. So uh, uh, we, I, I just love organizing conferences to get people together and share knowledge. I, I love the fact that I've done that in the past, not wanting to do it again. But I mean, that, that, that is a brilliant event. And I've been a couple of times over to Utrecht and um, yep. yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I um, hope to be, hope to come back someday. Good stuff. So um, you're interested in a number of the sort of, do you say non, non-fetishist? <laughs> uh, let's, let's get this out on the table. But a lot of very practical and re- sort of real-life situations in terms of strategy and, and um, how people do this stuff. And uh, we will have some good angles to, to talk on about that. So um, great to have you on. You and Ian have both been to Selhurst Park as well, which is a good thing. Yes. For those who, who don't know football, then tough. Thanks for joining. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so let's let's kick off, and as is customary, I will ask you a twenty-five minute question and give you two minutes to answer. But you were saying there that in, in as opposed to having frameworks or or being driven by particular particular models. I mean, you're still aware of lots of different ways of working that are out there and new ways of working. I mean, what at the moment, what, what do you think is the the best sort of compromise or, or, or joined up way of, of, of working through? And I mean, if you're advising a, a client at a strategic level and they say, we want to get better, we want to get faster, we want to do this, we want to do that. What's your advice? Tell, yeah. us, tell us what, you know, what kind of things would you be starting to guide them towards? That's it, it, it's a great and a fundamental question. And um, I, I tend to start with 
two things. Usually, first, of course, is to find out what a real question is and what you know what, what they're actually trying to achieve. Right? So making sure that organizations that ask for a an agile transformation or whatsoever, you have to find out what it is that they're actually trying to achieve with this. So having you know, having them you know in in the sweet spot making making sure that they realize that it's not the end it's not you know the uh, the goal you know it's just the means and you know having them in one room so having the management team in one room and making sure that they actually you know make sure that the goals are really tangible and are uh, and can be measurable as well and what do they actually want to achieve in terms of speed or agility or you know efficiency or whatever do you think? Do you think people really just want to be to do agile and not? I mean, not think enough yeah. about what it actually really means. Absolutely, yeah. So I've I've been in the agile transformation business. If you can, you know, uh, call it something. That I've been in that area for quite some years now, and you wouldn't believe the amount of organizations, especially also larger organizations, that just ask for that. They don't ask for please come and help us to. Know, shorten our lead times or make sure that we uh, increase the quality of our delivery. They ask for an agile or a DevOps transformation. And, and you know, the first thing you do is make sure that you find out what's behind this, right? The second thing then to do is to find out if the agile transformation that they may be asking for in the first place is actually part of the right solution. Because it just might be that applying lean practices or thinking about, you know, an IT for IT approach or whatever type of framework or approach or method you want to be using is the right one. So first I try to dive into the real goals and then I come up with usually with Kinevin as sort of a sense-making tool to make sure that together with the management team that you know, are trying to achieve, you know, th their goals that they also get you know, a deeper realization of, so what kind of you know, uh, characteristics do our approaches need to have in order to actually uh, find the right solutions for the problems that we have? So if they come up with you know, all sorts of agile approaches, so we want to implement Scrum, we want to do safe, we want to use less, whatever, uh, you want to make sure if that's really the right you know, set of approaches or set of methods that actually will you know, get the results that I want. If they want to become more efficient on their service desk, I've been in too much, too many conversations now where service desk managers have asked me, please come help implement Agile or Scrum, where actually, you know, Lean or Kanban would, you know, would make much more sense in terms of their um, their cadence and, you know, the context that they're working on uh, with, with the volumes, et cetera, that are attached to this. So they're not doing product development. So why would you use Scrum? So making sure that you have the right approach for you know, the right goal there. They're not doing product development. So why would they use Scrum? I mean, you know, just uh, that, that kind of does really, you could say the same thing. They're not, you know, on the other side of the house, if, if heaven for fan, everybody asked for, ITSM when they were doing development, they wouldn't ask for ITSM, would they? They would, they would ask, you know. One thing you mentioned there, though, you mentioned Kinevin, and you said you used that quite early on as in a kind of strategic sense for sense-making. Just, just, just tell us a little bit more about how you do that, because there's a lot of, I mean, the, the model of Kinevin is, is great, you know, in terms of how you understand different situations, but do you use that in a, strate in a strategic planning or discovery way as well? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in, in a number of ways. So first, indeed, to make sure that we have the same sense of, you know, the, the approach that we want to use for the journey that we want to engage in. So if, if I come to a company or organization whatsoever, if they're a government or, or whichever sector, they want to, uh, usually they want to engage on a, 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 a journey in terms of you know, their way of working. Uh, we want to become a more modern company to make sure that we attract the right talent from the market. We want to make sure that our lead times go uh, go down, etc. So there may be a lot of you know goals behind this, and then we need to find out what kind of method then would be you know the right one in order to move towards those goals. And of course, if you're dealing with a an organizational change type of project. All, in all cases, you know, th- that's, a re- that's really complex. You're dealing with, you know, with humans, you're dealing with you know, a, a lot of complex uh, system type of, type of characteristics there. And if you uh, will want to move towards you know, that kind of new way of working with autonomous teams and you want to uh, become a more agile organization, but you're doing this in more kind of a waterfall way with a roadmap and with a with the planning and, and with a separated team who is, you know, uh, uh, designing new processes for the organization and then implementing them on uh, on day uh, day sixty, then you're not actually, you know, having the right approach for the problem because if you are talking about a trans- transformation like that, you know, it's complex. So you need to run experiments and then, you know, based on the results of the experiments, just move on. So. That's when you can really use, you know, the essence of Kinevin in order to make sure that you have the right characteristics of the approach of the transformation approach itself. And I do that's not kind of situational analysis of yeah, it is. Is, it, is. is it organized or is it chaotic or is it you know that that kind of and 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 for me another great application of the Kinevin framework is. When I'm engaged with teams that want to have a multidisciplinary approach, they uh, more and more, they talk about T-shape. And then you get into discussions with the team. So what actually is a T-shape and what does it look like? And first, you know, you, you have a sort of a reflex that the team is actually saying, okay, we want people who can do design, who can build, who can test, who can run, who can do support, who can do the architecture, who can do the security. So if we have... Yeah, a new person coming into the team, we want them to be able to do everything. So that may be a first reflex, but that's not, you know, the way that people actually are, you know, built for. Because, you know, people are built for, you know, one or maybe two core competences and then have, you know, slightly deeper knowledge of other, you know, competences. So someone may be a software developer in art and may know a bit about security, architecture or testing. But it will never be that one person, you know, is able to do 20% of this, 20% of that, etc. And that's also where you can use Kinevin uh, if you want to, you know, move towards a T-shape of the team where you say, okay, we, we have, you know, your core competence, which is, you know, for instance, software development. And that's what you're doing for the team in terms of all of the complex work that the team is doing. But everything that can be in the right two quadrants of Kinevin so in the ordered parts, in the ordered contexts, mm. those are the things that are clear and are complicated. And that those are typical things that you can actually 
get someone else to do as long as you actually make sure that someone else is getting you know some knowledge so you so you do some knowledge transfer or you, or you automate stuff so if together with your team you plot all of your activities put it on your in the Kinevin framework and then see okay so these are typical things that are in the complex domain those need to be need, generally need to be done by someone with core competence you know in that area because those are complex those you know re really rely on 10 15 20 years of experience in a certain area and you don't want someone who is you know really new to software development in the team was done IT operations for 30 years you don't want that person to do you know the real complex software development stuff yet right? that takes a number of years to actually you know, develop those skills so you can also use it as sort of a skill matrix for uh, for your teams and so for those for our, our listener who who may not be familiar with all of those terms when we say t-shape and that, that's been bouncing around in the industry a bit. That you're, you're referring to people that are specialist on the vertical part of the T, but have a broad understanding on the horizontal part of the T shape. So they, they're horizontally capable in many areas, but have depth in one or two specialist areas. Um, yeah. And that's what builds up the team, a collection of those, those T shapes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Dave, let me take you to, um, obviously we're talking about agility and, DevOps comes up a lot. And here on this podcast, we talk about service management a lot in different ways. And there has for many years been the discussions about the relationship between um, the philosophy that is DevOps and the, the working practices that define service management. And everyone's trying to sort of fit a square peg in a round hole because they're not the same thing. They're, you know, they're fundamentally different concepts, but they, they rub up against each other a lot. Uh, have you seen any recent changes where some of the sort of more agile DevOps type principles are starting to change the way people work in, in service management itself? Is are you seeing that sort of spreading in that, that mindset, changing working practices inside the perhaps more structured world of service management? Absolutely. Um, so, of course, if you look at, you know, the whole developments that have been around Idle, for instance, in, in the past years, if you look at Idle 4, which has included a lot of, you know, new ways of thinking around this, so value stream thinking, and also making sure that, that you know all of the, the, the DevOps stuff around collaboration and, and multidisciplinary think, thinking, but also um, swarming, for instance, that those are really typical and good practices that we have actually created in you know in, in the the joint space where ITSM and DevOps is in, uh, which is in you know in, in IT management and um, you know in the whole Dev and Run space. So. Yes, absolutely. So I've seen that on a framework part, but also in practice, uh, if you look at, you know, organizations that, that actually have adopted DevOps ways of working that, uh, that uh, you know, are running, you know, platforms and these delivery pipelines that actually start to integrate the Dev and Run capabilities and responsibilities, you know, with, with, within teams. So making sure that you build it, you run it, et cetera. You see this more and more, and what you then see is that those teams actually want to know how can we best deal with our with the incidents that you know that disturb our normal you know daily life in terms of product development. So, what what is the you know the best way to both be able to respond to incidents for our products that are you know or, or increments that are already in production, and at the same time make sure that we have enough room. Um, to actually uh, to create new value and to uh, to realize new product increments. So those teams 
on, on a daily basis, they, they see those things, you know, running into each other and they need to fix this. And we see that, for instance, in the tooling industry, that, that it, there is a convergence going on. So we see that, you know, uh, people who are, are, are the tooling vendors that originally come from a dev background, that they also embrace the operations and service parts and, and the other way around as well. So at typical service management tools also start thinking about, so what do we need to do about the whole development space? And mm-hmm. I think that's, that it's, it shows that we're merging and it shows that, you know, the DevOps concepts around real collaboration between silos, that it, it's something that I think that ITSM has a big role in. And I also think that, you know, teams are embracing those ways of working. And of course, we have also some uh, contradictory stuff happening in the industry as well, because now you will always have religious wars. So you, if, if, if people come from a deaf background, you know, they will feel suspicious of, about things that come from an ops or service background. Yeah. Um, that's, still, that's, been, that's been a situation for quite a long time. Do you still see that? You're still encountering those religious beliefs around those different functioning areas and I, I, I think those those are still present but I think they're more present in the at the let's say conferences and um, the, more in terms of you know the, the, the methodology that are being developed and the books that are being written etc if you look at it from the practical you know the, the real, uh, the, the real place where, where the magic happens at, at the teams uh, themselves. Well, actually, I don't think that, that, that there's a lot of religion there, but when, when you go to conferences, then, then, then you get, you know, uh, you get washed. Yeah. yeah. And there's a risk in this. And on the other end, it's always good to, uh, to enrich your mind and you know, to, to make sure that you, that you're aware of all the possibilities in, in, in all of the areas around you. So if, yeah. if you're a developer, I think that you should actually really understand what's behind ITSM and ITIL, et cetera, to really make sure that you, if, if you then want to consider incident management for your team, that you actually understand what's in, of those, in all of those frameworks, what's already there, so that you don't have to come up with it yourself. And so what if Dave, what if we take it stretch it a little further because you're talking about you know embracing these ideas and there's benefits in all areas and I, I, I totally see that on this podcast we often talk about stretching out beyond IT and, and the way the rest of the business works whatever that business may be and a few times Barkley we have come back to this about how agile principles can be taken alongside service management practices into a non-IT context not IT ops not development but into sales operations, into finance, into marketing. Are you seeing any of those conversations happening? I, 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 before you answer, I certainly have and do see those sort of conversations happening. You know, the Kanban models are getting work done. It's nothing to do with IT in my mind. It's just a way of getting work done. But I'm interested in your, your view on that. Absolutely. And uh, if, if you talk about HR, if you talk about, indeed, you know, service desks, for insurance companies that are dealing with with, with, their, with the end customers. Also, nothing to do with IT, um, uh, lawyer firms, uh, marketing teams, sales teams. And, but also there for those teams, I think that, that you know, we, we as consultants also have a job. So if, if they ask for, we want to become more agile, 
then uh, what I said before, we want to we really, really need to make sure that we actually challenge them if they want to become more agile or, or if it's you know agility that they're actually you know uh, wanting, or maybe they want to become more efficiently you know dealing with phone calls on the service desk, or mm-hmm. if if it's a marketing team uh, who is you know uh, not really involved in product development but in um, campaigns do they want to use scrum or do would kanban be a better approach or would we learn something from another approach so we always should be challenging them if you know that's actually what what they're asking um, but I've, I've seen it a, a lot of teams actually so uh, uh, last year an hr team came to me and asked if they wanted to help them to apply scrum because that's what they heard at a at an HR Agile conference, and then we started diving into their real questions, and we ended up with them, you know, using voice of the customer, having some kaizens, and actually doing lean stuff, which actually really helped them to help their internal customers. So, and when I, we commented earlier about Scrum is you know Scrum is for development and. When I when I look at Scrum and I don't write code, but I work with geniuses that do, and I see the daily standups and I see the sprint reviews and I see those uh, rituals that are part of the the sort of Scrum framework that are followed, they do translate outside of development and code, don't they? That that approach to the how we're getting the work done and um, the definition of done and all these sorts of things, you don't have to be writing code. Absolutely. That's very true. So if, if you're doing indeed product development uh, type of work, so it doesn't have to be product development itself, it can be that type of work, it can really help. So there, there's actually, there's quite some schools also, so uh, uh, not elementary schools, but you know, the, the ones on top um, and also universities that also applies Scrum or other agile methodologies in their learning process because they find it really Andy, that you know, teams of students uh, that they use their teacher as a PO, and the, the, they themselves appoint a scrum master, and that they're you know developing learning material, or they're you know, developing projects, or whatever they need to do in order to make sure that they get towards their you know learning results. So it it it's getting used in a lot of different contexts, and if you apply it in the right way, you know, uh, also for the right cadence and etc., then it can be really really powerful. Absolutely, yeah. This is really interesting. Just getting back to service management for, for, for a minute, because we, we do have this concept. We do talk about agile service management and that there are various boxes and stuff so on out there about that. What would you say was the was the kind of essence of that? Because, I mean, when you're saying that, it's, it's occurring to me that, you know, yes, of course, because and similarly in service management, we were talking about mostly business activity. Part of the confusion with ITSM is that there is still there's a sort of a crossover of, you know, when you get into capacity and configuration and so on, it starts to get quite technical. But actually, we're still looking at the business part of how you run an estate. What would you say would be the sort of key learning points of, of taking an agile service management approach? Yeah, for, for me, agile service management would have two different perspectives. So one is that you apply agile principles and practices to a service management context. So you're, you're you're delivering services to your you know customers, consumers, etc., um, and there you can apply agile principles and practices to a large extent. So you can make sure that you collaborate you know, in a better way with your customers. You focus on the customer value and on the experience, 
Uh, you make sure that you know, in delivering those services, you have a better collaboration, you do it in a multidisciplinary way. Maybe you deliver your services in an incremental way. So there's a lot of value in applying agile you know, principles and practices to the service management area in the broad sense. And also, and that's the second perspective, uh, you can also look at organizations that have you know, adapted agile ways of thinking and working and they're using scrum safe less you know whatever framework or whatever way of working for their product teams and they also need to make sure that those those same product teams uh, to a certain extent they want to move towards your ability to run it so they need to make sure that those teams also adapt to uh, operations and to the fact that they're that the products that they're developing at some point will be in production, and then they need to fix incidents, and then they need to you know handle changes, uh, and then they need to make sure that they do root cause analysis. Uh, they need they need to do capacity management, etc. So it's also about applying service management principles and practices to agile contexts. So it's those two perspectives, I would say. Just finally, Dave, what, what would you say would be the sort of best bit of advice to give? And let's just let's just stick with service management people at the moment. Well, how how would they move in their mindset from the way that they might have traditionally worked to a more agile way of working? So I, I firmly believe in uh, you want to go from A to B in the way of B. So if you want to move towards an agile way of working, you need to do that in an agile way. So um, that means that you need to um, run experiments, uh, preferably a, a number at the same time. And then, uh, you know, based on your small experiments, uh, you see what the result is, and then you move on from there. So if you have a team who's delivering services, maybe you could start with, you know, the ceremonies that Ian just talked about. And that, that, could, that could really help um, uh, to do some retrospectives uh, to make sure that you uh, continuously have a helicopter view of how did we do and how can we improve, etc. It could also be that you start adopting the roles that we're using. So having a product owner who's actually really the owner of a, a sort of product or a service and making sure that the team is always working on the right, on the right stuff uh, at that time and doing the prioritization and stakeholder management. That can also be, you know, an added value. So th- there um, the, the essence is that you start, you know, um, learning about the real agile principles and practices, not just Scrum, but because there's a lot more to it than that. Right? So dive into extreme programming, make sure that you learn everything also about the lean side of this. Um, and then based on, you know, those experiments, start learning and adapting from there. And that's actually the way to go there and not... Not just doing it in one big bang, just, just learning with your team and seeing what fits your context best. So it's not taking a pill or going on a training course or... That as well. <laughs> There's a mindset behind it, isn't there? I mean, you've got all of those guidances that you can refer to on the right steps and the right rituals and the right things to do. But there is the just the mindset of you don't have to plan it all out up front, whatever it is. It's okay to not be certain about the destination. Absolutely. That is, is that you are happy to take small steps and adjust your course as you take those small steps. And that's a mindset that you can apply anywhere. So I mentioned right back to the beginning, sometimes they're bringing you in, Dave, and, and your organization coming into 
help people change their mindset as well as solve one problem. It's like think think to any future problem in a more agile way. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's a really good place to 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 wrap up. Um, thank you for that. Lots to ponder there about, particularly about the kind of common sense approach of how we can get from where we are now to where we might want to be and, and we can't use it all at the one time. So uh, thank you for that, Dave. Okay, we've had a really good chat there. We've, we've been around the houses with a whole number of different um, ideas and from the point of view of just how these might work or not and and really good practical advice there from from dave um ian is now going to ask you i won't ask you a long question but ian will ask you a simple and short question that will wrap things up um yes uh so as you know dave we always ask our guests for their favorite recommended drink to put on the bar uh i will be asking you considering the topic we've been talking about i'm guessing that your drink would be a row of very small shots, one after the other. I've <laughs> got a big pint. <laughs> not a huge waterfall of beer, but a series of very small shots. But I suspect that's not the case. So why don't you tell us, Dave, what would be your recommended drink on the bar? Of course, it depends on the occasion. But um, one of my favourite drinks is... I, I tend to like IPA type of beers with a little bit of juice in it. So um, there's a hazy IPA, which is called Crank the Juice. And, you know, I'm Dutch, so of course it's a Dutch beer. And, and you know, the, the name and the brand is actually Moorsleutel. I'll send you the, the way to... to, uh, to yeah, you need to write that one down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but, but if, if you remember Crank the Juice and it's a hazy IPA, then you can't miss it. And it's actually a great beer and they come in a half liter, so uh, it's, uh, it's good stuff. So a waterfall then, as opposed to... I do remember you describing... Uh, the Dutch language to me once, and, and I still laugh about it. it was it was it was like um, formalized sneezing? And, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And you said it, not me. Um, so, where can people get hold of you, Dave? Um, what's you know if, if they want to talk to you about strategy or or um, I mean, how how do they contact you if they want to discuss any of this stuff with you? I can easily be found on the internet because I'm probably the only Dave Van Herpen around. So if, if you Google me, you can only you know, end up uh, at, at my either LinkedIn or Twitter or you know, what, whatever. So uh, w there is always a way to, uh, to reach me. Okay, good stuff. Well, I'm sure people will be uh, following up. So thank you very much for your contribution and hope to see you at one of the um, various events sometime over the next year, if not in uh, Holland or, or the UK or, or whatever. Um, so thanks very much for your time, Dave. Thank you for good. having me. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. And um, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Ian. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dave. Always a pleasure. I will see you soon on the Enterprise Digital Podcast. Thank you.